Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. So what is astonishing? I was going to ask you first this time. (laughs) You go first this time. (laughs) Okay. So what is astonishing me, what I'm grateful for, um, is that on Sunday... We had uh, three folks join the church, and wow, that is fantastic! It is, it is. Um, and we have a, a actually a few more who who weren't there on Memorial Day weekend because who plans that for Memorial Day weekend? Wow. Me. Um, so I just you know it's a it's an it's just always a really beautiful and really meaningful moment for me because the Grove and I'm, and I'm sure it's not dissimilar at Derrida like. It's hard to talk about membership because there's Mm. very few things that people can't do in our community. Um, You know, like there are very few things that we say, oh, no, you can't do that until you become a member. So Mm -hmm. you can serve in meaningful ways. You can participate in worship. Goodness knows you can give. I mean, so a lot of people are part of the community for years and don't don't join officially because Mm -hmm. they sort of say, well, what... Like what difference? Does what it difference make? does it make, right? Mm-hmm. And and I honestly struggle to articulate the difference. Um, I mean, there are some very pragmatic things. Like obviously, you cannot be elected to serve as an elder unless you're a member. Or vote um, in congregational. You meetings. can't vote in congregational meetings, and you know we we have these times when our denomination asks us to count people, mm. and we can't count you on those forms unless you are an official member. Um, so, so, but those are not vow worthy mm-hmm, reasons mm-hmm. really. Um, because you know, there are so many people who are important, essential, vital parts of our community and are not members for lots of reasons. Um, so then you try to articulate like, well, what, what does it mean? And I think ultimately it means it's, it's about, a, it's not dissimilar to a, a wedding in some ways. Mm. It's about a public act of proclamation of I claim you and you claim me and we're making a vow um, to be steadfast with one another yeah. through thick and thin and good and bad. I and, like that. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it, it um, we, so we had three folks, you know, make that vow and it's always just a point of um, pausing for me to remember um the faithfulness of folks who were in that church when I showed up, which is a story we tell, I mean, fairly frequently, but also just the extraordinary faithfulness and generosity of people who come into the church. And, and it is just so unapologetically unfinished, right? Mm. Like we have a mission and we have a vision and there's signs of God's faithfulness, but, and real, real places of God's faithfulness, but we are not finished. It, mm. it is, and I think, you know, maybe theologically you would say, well, no healthy church is ever finished. Um, but most churches can at least appear <laughs> more finished than we can appear. And, um, you know, anybody who comes to the Grove is going to drive by a bunch of other churches where it would just be easier to belong. Mm-hmm. Um and so everybody is making a choice to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, to to maybe give more than than they would in another congregation um, where everyone 
looks like them, thinks like them, lives like them, or maybe has more economic resources or less challenges. And so when people come and say, I could be anywhere, but I choose to be here, um, it's just incredibly um, powerful to me. And also just, you know, I remember, and I'm sure you remember, you know, when we were in the early stages of the Transformation Project, and and especially um, at the Grove, there was a moment when um, a good two-thirds of the church walked out. And I, I was talking to a, um, a mentor, um, John Edwards, and mm. he was talking to me about, as a pastor, what I needed to do to be faithful to those folks who had chosen to leave. And he said, you know, you need to pastor them on their way out the door, so you need to call every single person who's left and you need to say, I just, you know, I care about you and I want to listen um, to whatever you have to say. And I'm not here to defend myself or defend the church. I'm here to listen and ask them if they'd like to have coffee with you or a meal with you just so that you can hear what's on their heart and listen to their pain. And um, and I, and I so, so A, number one, nobody wanted to meet me, <laughs> but many people, when given the opportunity of like, you can say whatever you want to say, and I'll just listen. Like I, I, I listened to a lot of people's anger, much of which was focused towards me. So that was not mm. pleasant. Um, but, but I remember saying to John, like, well, if I do that, are people going to come back? And he was like, well, no, <laughs> they're not coming back, but you need to be faithful mm. to the people who are leaving. Um, you know, because that's what a pastor does is faithful to the people that are in the congregation and, and, you know, and new people will come. And I said, well, I can't make new people come to this church. Like, how can I make that happen? And he said, oh no, you can't make that happen. They'll come if God sends them. Mm. And if God doesn't, they won't. And I just remember sitting there like just the sputtering, like, like, how can my job be? To call all these people and let them tell me how much they hate me and how awful everything is and how I destroyed their church. And then just to like sit powerlessly and wait on God to send new people like that is not what I signed on for um, when I went into ministry. But and I just I really remember just how Mm. despairing and vulnerable those days were and. And so when people come and join, I just remember like, gosh, like we, we prayed that God would send people and we prayed that God would send people when there was just like, if it's a hard place to be now, it was just a ridiculous place to be eight years ago. And, and, you know, people were just so generous Mm. to come and be part of building something and to say, like, I'm not looking for a good church. I want to be a part of building a good church. That's good. um, Wow. So anyway, I just, I'm still astonished that people would come and say, I choose this place. I choose you people. And, and it's such a gift and I'm so grateful for it. And I'm trying to just live in that gift instead of just skipping on to the next thing to be worried about. So that's what I'm astonished about. Well, that's pretty fantastic. And a reminder that the Holy Spirit really is at work and, um, there is only so much we can do. Right? Well, I mean, right. And the Holy Spirit does not work for us. That's so right. the That's reality right. is if the Holy Spirit is, is at work, um, helping and equipping and making God's will be done, then we don't have anything to worry about. Yeah. And if the Holy Spirit is not, then we don't have anything to worry about because, right. yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. this is just, uh, you know, anything that's worth doing is beyond our control mm. and above our pay grade. Mm. And so that ought to ought to <laughs> let us show up every day in just sort of a cheerful, hopeful, filled surrender 
to do what we can and then just live in peace. And, you know, God is faithful in the short run and in the long run. And it's important to remember, Mm. you know, none of this should have happened. Thinking all the way back to, you know, Antioch and Jerusalem, like none of this should have happened. And that the church exists is a full on miracle. Um, And so we just need to, walk in the trust that God who began this thing mm. is faithful to complete it and yeah. to be with us. And yeah. so, yeah. Excellent. Wow. Well, I was surprised on Sunday by worship, uh, at our church. Um, and what I'm about to say, I want to be very clear. This is not, uh, blaming anyone at Derrida and this is not, um, uh, pointing a finger at anyone, but we entered into worship, and I just sensed um, a heaviness, right? That yeah. something was not right in the room, and I thought, okay, we'll just continue with worship, and it didn't get better. As a matter of fact, it got worse, and so my normal impulse with my presbycostal self is to stop worship and just to ask, does anyone else? Since this, and then to pray or sing or whatever the Spirit leads us to do. And I didn't do that, um, mostly because of my concern for the people at Derrida, knowing that this is not part of their uh, thinking about their life with Jesus and that it would it would be very disruptive for many of them. So I, I decided not to and uh, decided simply to pray as the band uh, sang during the offering, and it it really didn't get any better. I talked to my wife after worship, and she said it just felt really sleepy. And you know, in retrospect, I knew that it was it was just really kind of demonic pushback against um, against worship. And um, next time, I don't want to do that. Next time, I want to stop. But I know I've got to teach the congregation into that. I think I did the right thing on Sunday by not stopping. Um, But um, I know that in the future, I need to be authentically who God has called me to be and uh, to step in that and to say, hey, I think I know what this is. And the good news is that God has given us resources to do something about this. And so let's do something about this instead of trying to plow through it. And again, this isn't about anyone um, in Dorado. I think it's it's, it's beyond the people in the church. I really do think that uh, in this season where we're focusing on mission and vision and core Mm -hmm. values and this season where we're doing more community outreach than we've done in a long time that it's no it should be no surprise that you have the powers of the enemy pushing back against the church um but i have to admit i was caught off guard and some might dismiss sunday by saying well you know it was a holiday weekend memorial day and people might have been there but not there and maybe some of that's true but in my heart, I just think that there was something more going on okay. spiritually. I have three thoughts. Three thoughts. Wow, three-point okay. sermon. Three. You never <laughs> give a three-point um, sermon. I think my first thought is I, I think it's really important, and I've said this before, maybe even on the podcast, that we Presbyterians, like, we don't have, we don't think about 
spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. We don't think about resistance. We we sort of poo-poo that or think we're too sophisticated for we're it or whatever. Pragmatic. And and if we do think about it, we expect like if nobody is levitating off a bed, if nobody's head is spinning around, then we've never seen this before, right? right. I mean, so right. most of us are like, well, I won't talk about spiritual warfare because I've never been mm-hmm. in it. I don't, you know, I've never seen it. If it does, I'm running in the other direction. But I think what we don't understand is that it doesn't have to be this, it, it's almost never this huge a supernatural appearing yes, thing, yes. but that it's very ordinary things that we accept as inevitable. So like just petty conflict mm, between mm-hmm, church members. Mm-hmm. It's, um, and it, and it can be just a, a spirit of destruction or boredom or discontent. Yeah. And so I think sometimes we think like, well, there's no point in talking about it, you know, in, in resourcing what we've been taught in scripture with some of the stuff that we're dealing with, because we think like, oh, that's just normal. It's not yeah. spiritual resistance, yeah. but no, it, it, it is. is. And we yeah. just have that's come what to it think, looks like. right. And we just don't know that mm-hmm. that's what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So that's my first thought. My second thought is, um, you know, I have two instincts whenever I, I get in that space. And, and one is, I can remember working with a friend who, who I really admire, who, who was, I, I was an associate and he was the head of staff at this church I served in Boston. And sometimes after worship, he would talk about like, oh, the energy in the room, the energy in the room. And mm-hmm. I just, at the time, I just, I didn't understand. Mm. I, I wasn't experiencing in that way. And honestly, I didn't say this. Well, I mean, I probably just said like, I don't know what you're talking about. The energy was fine. And I remember thinking like, what are we like, like yogis, like talking about the, what is this, California? Like I'm in Boston. We don't talk about energy. And, um, and so, I, and I do at the time think like it's difficult, um, when you're in the role of pastor to sort of discern kind of what's, what's your ego, what's your emotion, what's your fatigue, Absolutely. what's your burnout yes. and what's reality. Yes. And kind of just cause you're feeling a certain way mm-hmm. doesn't mean that other people in the room are limited. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Holy Spirit is not limited by the way that you and I emotionally mm-hmm. show up in worship. Thank goodness. Um, having said that, though, at the time, that was the only thing I could understand was like you didn't get enough of the kind of feedback that mm-hmm. you needed. And so you're, call, you're saying there's a weird energy in the room. Like now, I do think that there can be spiritual resistance and there can be times when it just... Things aren't right. And I definitely, we were saying on the walk, like, I think for you, you can't be authentically who you are in that community and not be honest. You know, I mean, what you, what you did for, I think lots of good reasons was kind of put a core way that you know God Mm -hmm. in your back pocket to make other people comfortable. And I do not think that you can or should do that. Yeah. Like I trust that you were called to that church for this season. And so that means whether it's quote right or wrong, I mean, that was where you authentically were on Sunday morning. And you know, you, that that's our, I think 90% of our job is just to drill down past all the superficialities and traditions and norms yeah, and yeah. stand up and just authentically proclaim the Mm. passion of Christ Mm. every week. Like what is it in this text Mm. that's worth dying to say? Right. Absolutely. And and if you had this whole huge thing where you really were, and then you kind of had to put that away and not speak out of it, then it's hard for you to speak with authenticity and integrity because you weren't able to be real in that space. So like if that were something that you did every week, it would be a problem. But if, you know, for it to happen occasionally and to name it, I mean, that's important. Even if people push back about that, 
um, that creates really healthy and I think holy spaces for people to get really authentic about mm-hmm. what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? And are we trying to have a spiritual encounter in this space? And some people really frankly aren't, you know, yeah. they're coming to worship because they're practicing their religion and for them, their religion is about, you know, order and meaning making and mm-hmm. control. And so for you to say, you know, I, I feel this thing that we need to stop and, you know, break out of our mm. plan and make room for the Holy Spirit to show up, that would be really uncomfortable and maybe even threatening to certain people in the pews. But that would ultimately be a very healthy thing. Yeah. Even yeah. if it was, quote, wrong to, to have a conversation about, like, why was that wrong and what were your expectations and were those expectations healthy? Because we've been talking about adding another guiding principle at the Grove very slowly about being a community... So I don't know what the wording would be, but something about like practicing healthy spiritual discomfort. Mm. I mean, to be able to say the word healthy is important, but spiritual discomfort, I mean, there's no spiritual growth if we can't be uncomfortable. Sure, yeah. And so to be able to name, hey, if you're uncomfortable, that does not necessarily mean someone's doing wrong. something wrong, right? Yeah. Now, it could mean somebody's doing something wrong, mm-hmm. which is why you need the word healthy mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and why it's always appropriate to have a conversation about, I feel uncomfortable, like, cool, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what are your expectations that let that were disappointed and were those healthy or unhealthy expectations? And what were other people's actions and were those healthy or unhealthy actions and were they in line with the guiding principles? But definitely, you know, I think all of that is, is really important. I mean, all those places of conflict become the places where we get really real yeah. and grow. So I think, I think it's great. I hope you're going to have a conversation. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, good. and we're not going to put that in our back pocket again. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that's really important. I think, I mean, I think that's really important. You can't do it. Yeah. I mean, if everybody's just coming in and leaving what's real and immediate mm. on the table as they walk into the sanctuary, then nobody, Yeah. It, we just have to trust that we can be real and God can mm. grow something beautiful out of it. Mm-hmm. Real in, healthy, holy, honoring ways, God honoring and other Absolutely. honoring ways. Yeah. 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 So. And knowing that it might be a little messy. Yes. Yeah. Very messy. Yeah. Very messy. So what are you thinking about? Uh, well, um, I'm thinking about Memorial Day. Um, I, we were saying before, I, I felt very strongly um, that Sunday morning worship when we gather as a community, which we only get to do 52 times a year, which is really not a lot mm. when you think about it. Um, I You will never hear me say, happy St. Patrick's Day, happy Valentine's Day, happy Mother's <laughs> Day, happy Father's Day, happy Flag Day. Like, none of that. Like, that, that, that that's just not, we're not, that's not how we count time mm. in the church. I'm not bringing all that in. We don't need theme days in worshiping Jesus. Um, but I do feel really um, conflicted about a day like Memorial Day um, because there's what the day means, like what the culture says around it. Um, and as we were saying about the walk, like I, our faith can't be formed by our patriotism. Mm-hmm. Our patriotism has to be informed by our faith, right? And so a lot of churches, when they honor Memorial Day, it becomes a day where, you know, you, you sing patriotic songs and you decorate the sanctuary with American flags and, and you basically preach and, you know, a thank God for America, saving the world, America first kind of sermon. And that is really inappropriate. You know, we are not ultimately 
citizens of the United States, we come to church on Sunday mornings to remind ourselves of our eternal identity, that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, mm-hmm. and, and that that's our nationality, and that that's what we claim, and that our, our participation in the country we were born into is informed mm-hmm. by the values and identity we have in Christ, right? Um, so I, I just you know tend to want to put Memorial Day in that category of things that are fine, but not not relevant to uh, you know not meant to be the theme of a worship day, except that Memorial Day is not created to be a Happy America Day. It's it's a day where we remember and honor soldiers who have died in service, mm-hmm. and there are folks in our congregation, um, a, a woman who's a leader in the congregation who I love very much, who's whose father died um, maybe even before she was born in World mm. War II. So she grew up without a father. And, and you know, and I, I look out and I see her on Memorial Day, and, and I know that for her a lot of the ways that the country celebrates Memorial Day, it, you know, doesn't acknowledge or speak into her pain and the loss, mm. the forever loss of she did not have an earthly father. And that yeah. is not something that ever goes away, right? And so I, I really feel like, you know, lifting up and acknowledging that pain is a very, um, is, is something that Jesus would want us to do, to notice the pain of people mm-hmm. who are unnoticed. And I do think, you know, in our country, you know, the percentage of people who are serving is so low, you know, mm. what, like 2% yeah. of people? I mean, and, and the people who serve tend to be often, you know, the most economically vulnerable. I mean, it's just, and and we send our soldiers off into incredibly dangerous places to do incredibly dangerous things and and things that you know scar I was going to say them. affect them for the rest of their lives and and we sort of say come home and get over it and pretend you never did it and we don't mm-hmm. we'll wave a flag for you on the 4th mm-hmm. of July but we don't want to deal with your mess yeah. you know we and, and and so I just all of that I feel like you know it's important um, to have a conversation in the context of the church to say, you know, how do we be Americans and, and how can I speak into the pain um, of saying, you know, for people to lay down their lives for their neighbors, I mean, that that's a holy thing mm. um, and, and something worth naming and not forgetting. And, and like, I, I am incredibly glad that the Allied forces won World War II and not the Axis forces, sure. right? Like, I, I mean, if you look at the difference between South Korea and North Korea, I just think South Korea is objectively better, <laughs> yes. right? And I'm um, not the people of South, but, you know, mm-hmm. the way of government. Mm-hmm. Some forms of governments are better than others. Mm-hmm. I, the, the law and order in this country is incredibly flawed and the most vulnerable people suffer, but they would suffer a lot more mm-hmm. in a space mm-hmm. of anarchy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I'm aware of that. And I don't take for granted the people who stand on the line to, you know, to, to make our democracy as flawed as it is continue to happen. I don't yeah. take that for granted. Yeah. Yeah. And yet yeah. it's hard to talk about that um, without sounding like you're having a different conversation. And also, you know, it was interesting. I was talking to this woman who lost her father and, and I was saying, you know, I, I think of him, I think of you on this day. And she said, me too. And the older I get, the sadder I get. Mm-hmm. And then she said, I just hate war. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because sometimes... I feel like I want to acknowledge that sacrifice, but the subtext is seems to be like it was worth it or it was justified or the war was good because you know and and to be able to say both like I acknowledge this deep pain and this sacrifice and it matters and it can't be forgotten and also 
we hate war. Yeah, yeah. And we don't accept it as inevitable. And and we are striving for the shalom of God where the lion lays down the lamb. And we don't think it's inevitable that some very vulnerable members of our society need to go and kill other people. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is. And we need to get over it. That we can both honor veterans mm-hmm. and people who are serving and people who have died without you know, sort of stamping our seal of approval on the military-industrial complex. And it's just really hard to tease all that stuff out. And I was sort of thinking about my silence on Sunday Mm. in the context of prayer, and I really felt like I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, I have given you the ability to say complicated things, Mm. and so you need to struggle to say it. Um, And so I feel I've been thinking about that, and I've been thinking about some regret, and I don't know that I would ever want to have a... Memorial Day Sunday, um, but I also feel like I need to continue to find some outlets to speak or write and say, this is how I think about Memorial Day, mm-hmm. and, I, and I need to be able to name two true things at once, that certainly the people who serve are not the enemy at all, mm-hmm. and also I, we, I, I'm longing for the day mm-hmm when we do better. And as Christians, we need to continually mm. long for and point out that, that even the very best military in the world, if that's what we have, is not something to celebrate, Yeah. right? Yeah. I, I want to celebrate a time when a young person doesn't have to go to Iraq um, and stand upwind of burning garbage and get mm. you know, a, a chronic fatal disease in order to earn money to go to college and have a decent living, right? Sure. Like I want to live in a country where we have other institutions where people can learn the values of honor and service and mm. sacrifice. And maybe those institutions could be, I don't know, the local church, right? Like I, like I just, I, I want to challenge the idea that this is just what it has to be without down playing people's real pain that deserves to be mm-hmm. seen and people's real sacrifices that deserve to be honored. And it's hard to tease all those things out, but I also feel like I let myself off the hook for trying mm-hmm. and I shouldn't have. So that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, we often um, make things like Memorial Day an either or. Right. Right, so it's it's either you uncritically love the right. country, or you critically criticize. I mean, you're just right. right. You, right you're you're just always in disagreement, and I think um, our call as followers of Jesus to be salt and light means that we must do both at the same time. Give God thanks for mm-hmm. and value what is good, and use our prophetic prophetic voice and say, mm-hmm. you know, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Uh, thus says the Lord, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream and and call out things that are are against God's will, ways, and word. And, and But not on the backs of soldiers. Like, that's the thing. Like, I was no, reading I'm, an I'm account. No, I'm thinking of I know the you're country not. in general. Right, because yeah. I think it's too easy for people who, who want to talk about God's shalom that sort of seems like an accusation against soldiers. And the reality is I was reading yes. a, an account of a soldier about a, the Battle of Fallujah last night, and, and he was talking about, like, coming home afterwards and and his his colleague, his whatever, his buddies, his, his people who had been in his platoon, that people would say, like, well, did you kill anybody? And that's, mm. I mean, they just want to know that. Mm. And, and, and he said, a friend said, what I say to them is, if I did, you paid me to, right? To say, wow. like, whatever wow. is done there... Wow. 
by, quote, them yeah. is done for us and yeah. paid for by us. And so yeah. what any, if anybody's hands are dirty and bloody, it's all our hands. Mm-hmm. And so when I, mm-hmm. if I want to talk about this, and, and so that's the other thing is like I'm under no illusions mm-hmm. that I don't deeply benefit mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. the terrible things that people do to protect this country. And I'm not pure or clean. Yeah. And so it's hard to, you know, from my place as someone who hasn't served, mm-hmm. you know, part of the reason I want to keep silent is because I just feel like I don't in any way want to pass myself off as a person who was too holy mm. to join the armed services because I mean, that's just, I, I just reject that. Um, so I, it's a, it's a really hard space, but in the guy in the, whose account I was reading, said, you know, I plan to say that too, but the first person who asked me that was my six-year-old cousin. So I oh, couldn't say it, right? Wow. <laughs> I mean, wow. But just like that's a, you know, it's just a, it's a lot. But we can think and say complicated things. And if we can't lead people into having mm. complicated, nuanced mm. conversations, then we should not be mad at people when they have unnuanced, uncomplicated sure. positions because we that's part of our job is mm-hmm. to... Mm-hmm. Um, model mm-hmm. um, things. So anyway, that's what I'm thinking about. Well, shall we talk about what we're preaching? No, we should talk about what you're thinking about. Oh, yeah. Well, um, well, just before my <laughs> coma, my barbecue-induced coma yesterday, um, I picked up uh, N.T. Wright's book on no, the Lord. No, you're reading so, N.T. Wright? I know. I, I huh. know. Go, go, go figure. Unexpected. I know. Huh. Um, there, there's so many things that I like about him now, and and there there are places where I go, mm, I'm not really sure. I, I'm not criticizing you know, into right. I'm just making know, fun of you for well, always reading. And him. <laughs> and and I, I am amazed at how he can write for both the average person in the pew and for the academic. I mean, just easy. He goes back and forth between those two things so well. Anyway, I was uh, I, I just decided <laughs> before I fell asleep to pick up. Uh, his book on the Lord's Supper, and I only got through the first two chapters. Um, and I was expecting this uh, great theological treatise and treatment of the Lord's Supper. And he just starts out with this great story of, um, he said, imagine you're celebrating the birthday of your 10-year-old daughter, niece, or granddaughter. And um, you've got the cake with candles. Everybody's wearing, you know, Party hats, hats and yeah, they're noise noisemakers the whole nine yards, and suddenly there's a knock on the door, and uh, it's a Martian who happens to speak English. Okay, and so you invite the Martian in uh, to join in the as party as one does as one sure. would do. Yes, and, I mean Will Smith would do that, but okay. And and the Martian, of course, just has lots of questions. What is this? What's a birthday party? Oh, was she just born? No, she was born ten years ago. Well, what's a year? It's 365. Yeah. I mean, just well, why is there fire on top of that thing yeah, you're yeah. going to eat? And what are those hats for? And um, and all the while, the only thing you can say is, well, this is just what we do. It's a birthday party. You just do it on a birthday party. Right. You have no other explanation, but this is just what you do. It's a special day, and we just do it this way. Um and basically what he gets at is that's that's how many of us observe the Lord's Supper. You, yeah. You just do it this way. Yeah. And when pressed, and well, after he tells the whole story about the Martian, he says, well, imagine yourself at a first century Jewish Passover meal. 
you would have a lot of questions and you would need them to say something more than this is just what we do right, right? um and so, and then he, he'll finally get to, it looks like in the third chapter, he gets to um, the supper Jesus shared with his disciples. Um, but what he's already starting to hint at, uh, which I really love, is this idea that the supper uh, points back to the past, right? This girl was born 10 years ago. It points to the future. He says, because at the birthday, when you know, when you sing the happy birthday song, someone might say something like, and many more, and many more right? Yeah. So it points to the future. And there's this right now, in the moment, present celebration. Mm-hmm. And we've got to keep all those in mind when we mm-hmm. are celebrating the Lord's Supper. And my experience of of people in the church is that primarily their thinking around the Lord's Supper the is, is the last supper. Yep. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and the liturgy that we use... Um, Begins the invitation to the table begins. This is the joyful feast of the people of God. Well, and that that's supposed to take our minds forward to that future great mm-hmm. banquet day, and um, I just think our our imagination just isn't going there yet. And yeah. uh, I'm really eager to uh, finish this book and, and and work on that in our. Okay. Well, not for nothing, I'm mad because we had talked about, and I ordered that book because we were going to read it together and talk about it. So thanks. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) I'll catch up and we can talk about it next week because whatevs. But no, I I agree. I think people look past and maybe a little bit forward, but it's really hard to get people to understand what does this moment mean. Yes, right now. now. So yeah, yeah, that's and and just to be in that. So that's good. Yeah. Good. One of our neighbors is getting a phone call. All right, so what are you preaching about this week? Let's see. We're um, looking at our next core value, which is diversity. Uh, and our text this Sunday will be Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 10. Uh, John looks and he sees a multitude that no mm-hmm. one could count. People, tribes, and languages standing before the mm-hmm. throne and before the Lamb. And they're singing this great salvation song. And um so um, I really haven't started studying the text yet, but I'm I'm hopeful that what's going to um, emerge out of the text. I mean, I've studied it before. It's been a, a while since I've preached that text. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful that the Holy Spirit will use the text to renew my vision for, you know, being this multicultural family and not only the 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 work of Jesus that makes that possible because in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, right? Slave or free. But the work that we've got to do to live into that because it is hard. And um, again, I think for us, we like the sentiment of it, but the work of it just scares us. Either we're afraid of offending someone or we're not quite sure how and but when to absorb offense. We are uncomfortable yeah. around people we're not used to be being around. And I would say we primarily speaking about white people because often if you are white, not always, but often if you are white and if you are a mainline Christian and you are white, then you are probably middle class to upper middle class, which means you probably live in a in a um, homogenous neighborhood and you probably go to a majority majority school and you probably go 
to a you know monocultural worship mm. center and anytime you do encounter a person of color often that person of color will have a prescribed role that probably has something to do with serving you entertaining you working for you and so i think we've talked before about how people of color are often you know you have necessity to survive you know mm-hmm. how to be around white people but white people don't mm. know or care to know how to be in a minority, to be the minority, to be in a space where thing, people don't talk like you, act like you, sit yeah, like you, pray like yeah, you, and how to yeah. not need to control that, and how to just be able to say, like, it's okay if I'm uncomfortable right now, it's okay if I don't understand, it's okay if people are reacting to this in a way that's different than I would, just because it's different doesn't mean yeah. it's wrong. That's something um, that we white people have to learn, that you cannot want to be comfortable and to be part of a diverse community. You're going to have to pick as a white yeah. person. And, and you and I are not that old, but within our lifetime, the church growth movement was teaching what they call, I think they called it uh, the homogenous principle or Ugh. something, right? That said, if you want to grow your church. You, you got to pick a demographic yeah, and, and go for it. And they need, and that demographic needs, needs to, to be, be the like same. the people already in your church, right? Mm-hmm. Because like likes like and right. that's how you grow your church which is true culturally but is blasphemous in according to the record of scripture and so for me it's just as simple as and if i were preaching that text i probably wouldn't go there like i don't mm. you sometimes i think we go so deep in the study that mm. we lose just the mm-hmm. plain sense meaning mm. of it like i know a lot of people um church people who care very much about diversity and the black lives matter and they bring in lecture series and they do all kinds of things but they don't notice that their sanctuaries are all white and if they do notice it they don't they don't they don't think that that's a problem that's just the way it is to be able to say no it's not the way it is that's the way you're choosing to have it be and if you can't make them come to your church you know what you could do you could. Uh, I mean, you have a choice to make, right, and right. and it matters what choice you make. And if you know that diversity is a value of the kingdom of God, and it is, then you're responsible when you. I was going to say we have to own it as our own value, and if Correct. you value something, that means you're going to take some action steps toward it. We are going to pay the price, yeah. to incorporate that in your life. Because for me, it's really important to me. I do think that lots of people who, who, if you talk about evangelism, a lot of people have no interest in the church mm. because they see that racism is anathema to what we say we believe, and they see our segregated communities and go, well, you don't believe what you say you believe, mm-hmm. and so I don't want to be a mm-hmm. part of it. And I know those people. And also, just for me, I want my daughters to grow up and a diverse and multicultural community, and it just made me mad when they were little that if I wanted to explain to them you know, show them what diversity looked like, I had to turn on Sesame Street where they were talking puppets because there wow. were no... I mean, I don't want wow. that, right? Wow. So to say, like, if that is reality eternally, wow. then it needs to be our reality here and now. Yeah. And what we said at The Grove is we would rather die trying to be a diverse church mm-hmm. than live as a monocultural church yeah. because our death would proclaim something mm. if we died trying to be a diverse church. Mm. And our life... Well, would also proclaim something that we don't want to proclaim. And so I just think, like, for me, I mean, not for everybody, and there's lots of ways to be a healthy, vital church, Mm -hmm. but for me, that that's just the core of what I of what I feel called to do and be a part of. And um and it's not free. I mean it's not free. Yeah. 
So yeah, there's a cost. Definitely. There is a cost. And so you can't expect it to happen spontaneously because it won't. And you can't expect to have that and everything else. Like mm-hmm. you can't, you know, it, it will require a lot of time and energy and passion. And um, so anyway, I, I think I think that's great. Well, so what are you preaching? Well, I'm not preaching this week. Oh, I am right. um, officiating a wedding, so I'll be out of town. Um, but it will be on Ruth and Naomi. And I did hear someone tell me a really interesting story about... Um, she she got married at First Pres. Actually, Katie Crow did mm-hmm. her marriage ceremony. And she and her husband had written their vows. And she had written something in her vows about, like... I promise to do this, this, and this, and I don't know if I'll be able to, but I know God will help me. And she said, Katie Crow said, well, I'm going to stop you right there because that's some bad theology. God isn't going to keep these vows. You are. Wow. So don't walk into this thinking, you know, God's going to make me mm-hmm. be faithful mm-hmm. to these vows. <laughs> like wow. you walk into it saying, these are your promises Yeah. and you need to do, and you can ask for God to help. But it's not God's job to keep your vows. It's yours. And so I just thought that was so interesting. So I want to yeah. think about that. And that Ruth and Naomi, like Ruth saying, like, where you go, I'll go. Yeah. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Like, yeah. that is a vow that she was making to Naomi. And in the context of her faithfulness in her promise, which she didn't promise, like, I mm-hmm. promise mm-hmm. I will get married and bear you sons, right? Yeah. She promised to do what she could do. And in the context of her faithfulness, God did incredible things. So I just thought that was so interesting. And also just such a great example of really good pastoring, like really good pastoring of Katie Crow to say, I'm going to talk to you about Mm -hmm. the reality here. Like, I'm not going to worry about offending you. I'm going to take you seriously. And I'm Mm going to say, you know, there's a real problem with how, with what this reveals about how you're thinking. And 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 the woman I was talking to said, you have no idea. It's probably the most life-changing, life-giving thing anyone has ever said to me. Wow. Because a lot of times when we hit a, a problem in our marriage, I think, wait a minute, this is on me. Mm. Like, I promised mm. to do this. Mm-hmm. This isn't on him. Mm. I need, Anyway, so it was a really beautiful moment, and I need to figure out a way to um, incorporate that yeah. in wow. without lecturing. Oh, the bell's ringing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I know this podcast is getting long and we might come back to it another time, but I have a bit of an issue with people writing their own vows. Oh, yeah, I that's think, not my yeah, thing. Yes, yes. All right. But I'm not the boss of everyone. <laughs> <laughs>